Chapter 18 of the Indian Fairy Book. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dorothy Godfrey Smith. The Indian Fairy Book by Henry S. Schoolcraft. Chapter 18 The Enchanted Moccasins. A long, long time ago, a little boy was living with his sister entirely alone in an uninhabited country far out in the northwest. He was called the boy that carries the ball on his back from an idea that he possessed magical powers. This boy was in the habit of meditating alone and asking within himself whether there were other beings similar to himself and his sister on the earth. When he grew up to manhood, he inquired of his sister whether she knew of any human beings besides themselves. She replied that she did, and that there was, at a great distance, a large village. As soon as he heard this, he said to his sister, I am now a young man, and very much in want of a companion. He asked his sister to make him several pairs of moccasins. She complied with his request, and as soon as he received the moccasins, he took up his war club and set out in quest of the distant village. He traveled on till he came to a small wigwam, in which he discovered a very old woman sitting alone by the fire. As soon as she saw the stranger, she invited him in, and thus addressed him. My poor grandchild, I suppose you are one of those who seek for the distant village from which no person has ever yet returned. Unless your guardian is more powerful than the guardians of those who have gone before you, you will share a similar fate to theirs. Be careful to provide yourself with the invisible bones those people use in the medicine dance, for without these you cannot succeed. After she had thus spoken, she gave him the following directions for his journey. When you come near to the village which you seek, you will see in the center a large lodge in which the chief of the village who has two daughters resides. Before the door there is a great tree which is smooth and without bark. On this tree, about the height of a man from the ground, is hung a small lodge in which these two false daughters dwell. It is here that so many have been destroyed, and among them your two elder brothers. Be wise, my grandchild and abide strictly by my directions. The old woman then gave to the young man the bones which were to secure his success, and she informed him with great care how he was to proceed. Placing them in his bosom, Onwi Bagmongdang, or the wearer of the ball, continued his journey and kept eagerly on until he arrived at the village of which he was in search. Here, on gazing around, he saw both the tree and the lodge which the old woman had mentioned. 
he at once bent his steps toward the tree, and approaching, endeavored to reach the suspended lodge. But all his efforts were in vain, for as often as he attempted to reach it, the tree began to tremble, and it soon shot up, so that the lodge could hardly be perceived. He bethought him of his guardian spirit, so invoking his aid, and changing himself into a squirrel, he mounted nimbly up again, in the hope that the lodge would not now escape him. But to his disappointment, away shot the lodge, climb as briskly as he might. Panting and out of breath, he at last remembered the instructions of the old woman. Drawing from his bosom one of the bones, he thrust it into the trunk of the tree and rested himself upon it to be ready to start again. As often as he wearied of climbing, for even a squirrel cannot climb forever, he repeated the little ceremony of the bones. But whenever he came near the lodge and put forth his hand to touch it, the tree would shoot up as before and carry the lodge up far beyond his reach. At length, the bones being all gone and the lodge well nigh out of sight, he began to despair, for the earth too had long since vanished entirely from his view. Summoning his whole heart, he resolved to try once more. On and up he went, but as soon as he put forth his hand to touch it, the tree again shook, and away went the lodge. One more endeavor, brave Ennui, and in he goes. For having now reached the arch of heaven, the flyaway lodge could go no higher. Ennui entered with a fearless step and beheld the two wicked sisters sitting opposite each other. He asked their names. The one on his left hand called herself Azrabi, and the one on the right Negarnabi. After talking with them a little while, he discovered that whenever he addressed the one on his left hand, the tree would tremble as before and settle down to its former place. But when he addressed the one on his right hand, it would again shoot upward. When he thus perceived that by addressing the one on his left hand the tree would descend, he continued to do so until it had again settled down to its place near the earth. Then, seizing his war club, he said to the sisters, You who have caused the death of so many of my brethren, I will now put an end to, and thus have revenge for those you have destroyed. As he spoke this, he raised the club, and with one blow laid the two wicked women dead at his feet. Ennui then descended, and learned that these sisters had a brother living with their father, who had shared in the spoils of all such as the wicked sisters had betrayed. This youth would now pursue him for having put an end to their wicked profits, so Ennui set off at random, not knowing whither he went. The father, coming in the evening to visit the lodge of his daughters, discovered what had happened. He immediately sent word to his son that the sisters had been slain, 
and that there were no more spoils to be had. Now this news greatly inflamed the brother's temper, especially the woeful announcement at the end. He was chafing and half beside himself with rage. Oh, he cried, the person who has done this must be that boy that carries the ball on his back. I know his mode of going about his business, and since he would not allow himself to be killed by my sisters, he shall have the honor of dying by my hand. I will pursue him and have revenge. It is well, my son, replied the father. The spirit of your life grant you success, but I counsel you to be wary in the pursuit. Ennui Bachmondang is a cunning youth. It is a strong spirit who has put him on to do this injury to us, and he will try to deceive you in every way. Above all, avoid tasting food till you succeed, for if you break your fast before you see his blood, your power will be destroyed. The son took this fatherly advice all in good part, except that portion which enjoined upon him to abstain from staying his stomach. Over that command he made a number of wry faces, for the brother of the two wicked sisters had, among numerous noble gifts, a very noble appetite. Nevertheless, he took up his weapons and departed at the top of his speed in pursuit of Ennui Bachmondang. Ennui, finding that he was closely followed, climbed up into one of the tallest sycamore trees and shot forth the magic arrows with which he had provided himself. Seeing that his pursuer was not turned back by his arrows, Ennui renewed his flight and when he found himself hard-pressed and his enemy close behind him, he transformed himself into the skeleton of a moose that had been killed many moons before. He then remembered the moccasins which his sister had given him, and taking a pair of them, he placed them near the skeleton. Go, said he to them, to the end of the earth. The moccasins then left him, and their tracks remained. The angry brother at length came to the skeleton of the moose. When he perceived that the track he had been long pursuing did not stop there, he continued to follow it up till he arrived at the end of the earth, where, for all his trouble, he found only a pair of moccasins. Vexed that he had been outwitted by following a pair of moccasins instead of their owner, he complained bitterly, resolving not to give up his revenge and to be more wary in the future. He then called to mind the skeleton he had met with on his way, and concluded that it must be the object of his search. So the brother retraced his steps toward the skeleton, but to his surprise it had disappeared and the tracks of the wearer of the ball were in another direction. He now became faint with hunger and lost heart, but when he remembered the blood of his sisters, and that he should not be allowed to enjoy a meal 
or so much as a mouthful until he had put an end to Ennui Bachmundang, he plucked up his spirits and determined again to pursue. Ennui, finding that he was closely followed and that the hungry brother was approaching very fast, changed himself into a very old man with two daughters. They lived in a large lodge in the center of a beautiful garden, which was filled with everything that could delight the eye or was pleasant to the taste. He made himself appear so very old as to be unable to leave his lodge and to require his daughters to bring him food and wait on him as though he had been a mere child. The garden also had the appearance of old age, with its ancient bushes and hanging branches and decrepit vines loitering lazily about in the sun. Meanwhile, the brother kept on until he was nearly starved and ready to sink to the earth. He exclaimed with a long-drawn and most mournful sigh, Oh, I will forget the blood of my sisters, for I am starving. Oh, oh. But again he thought of the blood of his sisters, and what a fine appetite he would have if he should ever be allowed to eat anything again. And once more he resolved to pursue, and to be content with nothing short of the amplest revenge. He pushed on till he came to the beautiful garden. He advanced toward the lodge. As soon as the fairy daughters perceived him, they ran and told their father that a stranger approached. Their father replied, Invite him in, my children, invite him in. They did so promptly, and by the command of their father they boiled some corn and prepared several other palatable dishes. The savor was most delicious to the nostrils of the hungry brother, who had not the least suspicion of the sport that was going on at his expense. He was faint and weary with travel, and he felt that he could endure fasting no longer, for his appetite was terribly inflamed by the sight of the choice food that was steaming before him. He fell to and partook heartily of the meal, and by so doing he was overcome and lost his right of revenge. All at once he forgot the blood of his sisters, and even the village of his nativity. He also forgot his father's lodge, and his whole past life. He ate so keenly, and came and went to the choice dishes so often, that drowsiness at length overpowered him, and he soon fell into a profound sleep. Ennui Bachmondang watched his opportunity, and as soon as he saw that the false brother's sleep was sound, he resumed his youthful form and sent off the two fairy daughters and the old garden. Then, drawing the magic ball from his back and turning it into a great war club, he fetched the slumbering brother a mighty blow, which sent him away too. And thus did Ennui Bachmondang vindicate his title as the wearer of the ball.
Such was the great force and weight of the club with which he had dispatched the brother of the two wicked women, that it swung Ennui straight around, and he found himself in a large village surrounded by a great crowd of people. At the door of a beautiful lodge stood his sister, smiling, and ready to invite him in. Ennui entered, and hanging up his war club and the enchanted moccasins, he rested from his labors and smoked his evening pipe with the admiration and approval of the whole world. With one exception only, Ennui Bachmondang had the hearty praises of all the people. Now it happened that there lived in this same village an envious and boastful fellow who had been once a chief. Always coming home badly whipped, he had been put out of office and now spent his time about the place proclaiming certain great things which he had in his eye and which he meant to do one of these days. This man's name was Coco the Owl, and hearing much of the wonderful achievements of the wearer of the ball, Coco put on a big look and announced that he was going to do something extraordinary himself. Ennui Bachmondang, he said, had not half done his work, and he, Coco, meant to go on the ground and finish it up as it should be. He began by procuring an oak ball, which he thrust down his back, and confident in its magical powers, he too called himself the wearer of the ball. In fact, it was the self-same ball that Ennui had employed, except that the magic had entirely gone out of it. Coming by night in the shadow of Ennui's lodge, this bad fellow thrust his arm in at the door and stealthily possessed himself of the enchanted moccasins. He would have taken away Ennui's war club, too, if he could have carried it, but although he was twice the size and girth of Ennui, he had not the strength to lift it. So he borrowed a club from an old chief who was purblind and mistook Coco for his brother, who was a brave man. This accomplished, Coco raised a terrible tumult with his voice and a great dust with his heels and set out. He had traveled all day when he came to a small wigwam, on looking into which he discovered a very old woman sitting alone by the fire, just as Ennui had before. This is the wigwam, said Coco, and this is the old woman. What are you looking for? asked the old woman. I want to find the lodge with the wicked young women in it, those who slay travelers and steal their trappings, answered Coco. You mean the two young women who lived in the flying lodge? asked the old woman. The same, answered Coco. I am going to kill them. With this he gave a great flourish with his borrowed club and looked as desperate and murderous as he could. They were slain yesterday by the wearer of the ball, said the old woman. Coco looked around for the door in a very owlish way and heaved a short hem from his chest. Then he acknowledged 
that he had heard something to that effect down in one of the villages. But there's the brother. I'll have a chance at him, said Coco. He is dead too, said the old woman. Is there then nobody left for me to kill? cried Coco. Must I then go back without any blood upon my hands? He made as if he could shed tears over his sad mishap. The father is still living, and you will find him in the lodge, if you have a mind to call on him. He would like to see the owl, the old woman added. He shall, replied Coco. Have you any bones about the house? For I suppose I shall have to climb that tree. Oh, yes, plenty, answered the old woman. You can have as many as you want. And she gave him a handful of fish bones, which Coco thrust into his bosom, taking them to be the invisible tallies which had helped Ennui Bachmondang in climbing the magical tree. Thank you, said Coco, taking up his club and striding toward the door. Will you not have a little advice? said the old woman. This is a dangerous business you are going on. Coco turned about and laughed to scorn the proposal. Then, putting forth his right foot from the lodge first, an observance in which he had great hopes, he started for the lodge of the wicked father. Coco ran very fast, as if he feared he should lose the chance of massacring any member of the wicked family, and soon came in sight of the lodge hanging upon the tree. He then slackened his pace and crept forward with a wary eye, lest somebody might chance to be looking out at the door. All was still up there, however, and Coco clasped the tree and began to climb. Away went the lodge, and up went Coco, puffing and panting after it and it was not a great while before the owl had puffed and panted away all the wind he had to spare, and yet the lodge kept flying aloft, higher, higher. What was to be done? Coco, of course, bethought him of the bones, for that was just what, as he knew, had occurred to Ennui Bachmondang under the like circumstances. He had the bones in his bosom, but first it was necessary for him to be a squirrel. He immediately called on several guardian spirits whom he knew of by name, and requested them to convert him into a squirrel. But not one of all of them seemed to pay the slightest attention to his request. For there he hung, the same heavy-limbed, big-headed, be-clubbed, and be-blanketed cocoa as ever. He then desired that they would turn him into an opossum, an application which met with the same luck as the previous one. After this, he petitioned to be a wolf, a gopher, a dog, or a bear, if they would be so obliging. The guardian spirits were either all deaf or indifferent to his wishes, or absent on some other business. Coco, in spite of all his begging and supplication and beseeching, was obliged to be still Coco. However, the bones are good, he said to himself. I shall get a nice rest at any rate if I am forced to climb as I am. 
With this, he drew out one of the bones from his bosom, and shouting aloud, Ho, ho, who is there? He thrust it into the trunk of the tree, and would have indulged himself in a rest. But being no more than a common fishbone, without the slightest savor of magic in it, it snapped with Coco, who came tumbling down, with the door of the lodge which he had shaken loose rattling after him. Ho, ho, who is there? cried the wicked father, making his appearance at the opening and looking down. It is I, Ennui Bachmondang, cried Coco, thinking to frighten the wicked father. Ah, it is you, is it? I will be there presently, called the old man. Do not be in haste to go away. Coco, observing that the old man was in earnest, scrambled up from the ground and set off promptly at his highest rate of speed. When he looked back and saw that the wicked father was gaining upon him, Coco mounted a tree, as had Ennui Bachmondang before. Then he fired off a number of arrows, but as they were no more than common arrows, he got nothing by it, but was obliged to descend and run again for his life. As he hurried on, he encountered the skeleton of a moose, into which he would have transformed himself, but not having the slightest confidence in any one of all the guardians who should have helped him, he passed on. The wicked father was hot in pursuit, and Coco was suffering terribly for lack of wind, when luckily he remembered the enchanted moccasins. He would not send them to the end of the earth, as had Ennui Bachmondang. I will improve on that dull fellow, said Coco. I will put them on myself. Accordingly, Coco had just time to draw on the moccasins when the wicked father came in sight. Go now, cried Coco, giving orders to the enchanted moccasins. And go they did. But to the astonishment of the owl, they turned immediately about in the way in which the wicked father was furiously approaching. The other way, the other way, cried Coco. Cry as loud as he would, the enchanted moccasins would keep on in their own course. And before he could shake himself out of them, they had run him directly into the face of the wicked father. What do you mean, you owl? cried the wicked father, falling upon Coco with a huge club and counting his ribs at every stroke. I cannot help it, good man, answered Coco. I tried my best. Coco would have gone the other way, but the enchanted moccasins kept hurrying him forward. Stand off, will you? cried the old man. By this time the moccasins were taking him past, allowing the wicked father chance to bestow no more than five-and-twenty more blows upon Coco. Stop, cried the old man again. You are running away. Ho, ho, you are a coward. I am not, good man, answered Coco, carried away by the magical shoes. I assure you. But ere he could finish his avowal, the moccasins had hurried him out of sight. At any rate, I shall soon be home at this speed, said Coco to himself. The moccasins seemed to know his thoughts, for just then they gave a sudden leap, slipped away from his feet, and left the owl flat upon his back.
while they glided home by themselves to the lodge of Ennui Bachmondang, where they belonged. A party of hunters passing that way after several days found Coco sitting among the bushes, looking greatly bewildered. When they inquired of him how he had succeeded with the wicked father at the lodge, he answered that he had demolished the whole establishment, but that his name was not Coco, but Ennui Bachmondang. Saying which, he ran away into the woods and was never seen more. End of chapter 18 Recording by Dorothy Godfrey Smith